0: In my mind, diversification is how many buckets of opportunity that are different that you're investing in. So for example, you have stocks, bonds, mutual funds. That's bucket number one. You have real estate, that's bucket number two. You have businesses, that's bucket number three. You have say non or anything else that you give back to, that's bucket number four. So having a good set percentage in each bucket is what you call allocation. And that, by definition, is diversification.
1: Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. A podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Arby Golhar. Arby is a host of Real Estate Deal Talk, an independent source of original podcast videos and articles discussing topics related to real estate investing. And he is a managing partner of Summit and Crown, a real estate investing firm based in Atlanta, Georgia. He's been investing in real estate since 2002 and has always used the adage of value-add approach to identify acquisitions. Avi enjoys working with investor groups to implement market-driven strategies which have the highest potential for success. Without f- so without further ado, let's get him out here. G'day, Abby. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing, Reese? Thanks for having me. My pleasure, mate. Thanks for jumping on the call today. Are you dialing in from Atlanta, Georgia right now? Yes, dialing in from Atlanta. Perfect. Awesome. Man, before we get into the nuts and bolts of today's show, can you please elaborate a little bit on your background? And what was that mind shift change that wanted you to to you know get off get out of get off your ass and you know start investing in real estate and take a, take control <laughs> of your life.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's such a good question, and I think it, we could talk the entire show about just that because, like you said, the mind shift change is super super crucial. But my background is in electrical engineering, and I know you and I had talked before. You're an engineer as well. I feel like that's it's correct. Such a trend for engineers to start getting into real estate just because we have a very logical frame of mind. We look at things from a coding perspective or like a if-then statement perspective, and I think it's really cool. So my background is in electrical engineering. I graduated from the University of Michigan, and it was during that time, my four years at Michigan, that really kind of drove me to insanity, Uh, one, (laughs) one academically, but then two, I realized... I'm not cut out for that kind of stuff. I'm just not, you know, like I can you see me working at like a big four like or a big five software firm? No, but there's some people that do that. And that's super, super cool because it's because of people like you that I love my Windows machine and my Mac machine. So thank you for that. (laughs) But, you know, I, I was there and I'm like, okay, there has to be more to life. There has to be more to some type of investing that I can do. And I started reading books. I mean, quite frankly, just speaking honestly and transparently, when I got to Michigan my first semester, I didn't do well at all. And it humbled me tremendously. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got this. It's not not a big deal. And then, oh, crap, I failed my first semester. And my buddy handed me a bunch of books and obviously the staple at the time rich dad poor dad and i ended up reading his entire uh his entire series cashflow quadrant guide to investing if you're just starting out paying attention to this podcast pick up those three books definitely recommend those but then also read all the other books say from you know lynch to buffett to uh, the rockefellers and just understanding what they did and the common denominator the common goal was to have real estate investments. And of course to gain leverage and to gain as much aggressiveness on those percentages as you could. I mean the Rockefellers didn't just build wealth by spending 90% of the wealth and investing 10%. It was the other way around. They invested 90% and lived on 10%. And I became infatuated with that idea. I became infatuated with real estate and I failed in inner city Detroit when I was investing while I was in school But you know what? You have those failures, have those mistakes, and you continue to build on them and learn that people are just as important to your overall experience than actually getting out there and doing it. So that's how I started in Michigan during my full-time, being a full-time student. That's all that I did. And the biggest mindset shift for me was, you know what? If nobody's going to take interest in my financial future and help me out, I have to. Right. And I feel like today there's so many millennials, even still so many folks that say I want things done now. And that that might be because we expect to sell a house after the commercial of watching watching it on TV. We live in a <laughs> microwave society. But we cannot do that anymore. And we have to start taking the responsibility of being financially educated or we will be screwed. Period.
1: I completely agree with you and oh, that's it's such an impressive thing that you know you, You were hit with that inspiration to do something more with your life in terms of real estate investing, take control financially. Um, You know, at such a young age, you know, because I know at university when I was at university studying civil engineering, I was too busy partying and having a great time, and you know, focusing on you know whatever it was. And it wasn't until actually after I left school and I went backpacking around the world for for a couple of years that I really found myself and you know realized okay. I essentially want someone to pay me to live my life. Um, how do I do that? Okay, I need to invest in real estate. So I need to educate myself. But but well done for taking those steps. And so did you then end up go, going on to get your degree or did you just continue reading books in, uh, in the library and uh, Warren Buffett and, and, and Rockefellers and, and started investing? <laughs> so I
0: finished my degree, um, but I had a little bit of a problem. I kept getting kicked out of, the business school classes. So I used to (laughs) attend classes that I wasn't supposed to be in. And then I used to show up for exams and and the professors kind of caught on. They're like, who is this guy? He's not even registered for the class. And then I used to skate by by saying, I'm just auditing the class for a little while. And that little while turned into, you know, a couple of months. And then all of a sudden I, (laughs) I was also doing like the group homework assignments and I totally got kicked out. And I felt like I had a really hard time because of that. So I had my engineering classes, I had my unapproved business and real estate classes, and then I was investing in Detroit, um, and all of that just came to a point where I'm like, okay, you know what? I am okay with getting a B or a B minus in my undergraduate classes because I know the bigger picture for me. Mm-hmm. So I did finish, and then I just started
1: investing straight away. So you, you never, you never actually stepped foot in a uh, electrical engineering firm, is that because that's right? You did electrical engineering, right? Yep, you got it. Yep. I have yet to step foot in industry. Nah, fantastic. Well, good on you. That's awesome. And and the fact that you purchased your first property whilst in university. So talk to me a little bit about that and how that came about. Because you know you you're in university. Obviously you're failing. You said you are failing, and then you got picked up the the books Rich Dad Poor Dad. Was it before that time that you started investing, or just you know coincidentally around the same time you started picking up those books and educating yourself uh, to increase your financial IQ? Great question. So I would say it started only
0: after I took interest in my own financial IQ. Mm -hmm. And obviously you read those books and you're like, wow, I have to build a team and I have to put people around me that make sense. And even at the time, I mean, I was so green to this world, Read, You have no idea. I, I didn't even know like what a real estate deal was. I had no idea how to evaluate a real estate deal. I mean, forget about running comps. I didn't even know what a comp was. I didn't even know how to tell a good mentor from a bad mentor. So I was in a really vulnerable place. And unfortunately for me, I just hung around the wrong mentors that taught me how to invest in real estate in inner city Detroit. And I just did it completely wrong. I mean, I didn't I didn't find the right team members. Contractors took advantage of me. It was unbelievable. But what I did have going for me was this entrepreneurial spirit, this willingness to put myself out there and say, hey, I'm going to make it happen. And more importantly, I had a little side business. And I'm sure you can attest to this. I used to buy and sell cars on eBay to Australians. (laughs) So uh, Australians have a... I, I, you know, God love them. I love my Australians because they have this affinity for classic muscle cars from America. Yes, They love them. Yes, Absolutely love them. And I had no problem selling it to them. It was so (laughs) much fun. I had the import-export down. I had had the transport. I had the bill of lading from the ports in California. And I had to degas the air conditioning before and had to have that certification. And so I sold everything from... 1965 Mustangs, the 69 Mustangs, the Camaros, the Chevys, the Corvettes, to all of these muscle cars. And that's how I built up a little bit of cash. And I purchased my two or three flip properties in Detroit. So that's how I really got started. But you're right. It definitely started from reading those books and really immersing myself more so than my, than my engineering classes in real estate investing.
1: Dude, that's awesome. You just stumbled across muscle cars and Australians being idiots buying muscle cars from America. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I wouldn't call them idiots, but they they
0: were they were running after value and this is right. when okay. um, you know, and this is when they were they were really 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 hot.
1: I I, I don't know what it is. I mean, and you, don't you stumbled get me wrong. across that? Like you you, you know, there, there was a how did you find out that Australians like to and I don't know, obviously it wasn't probably just a strains, but the whole import yeah. export thing. That's a, like getting that down pat at you know whatever age you were twenty twenty one. That's still a pretty big step, you know, for someone at, living in Michigan. You know, de- dealing with the port yeah. of California. That's you know halfway across the country.
0: So uh, I I will all right. So I will <laughs> tell you exactly what happened there. Um, I did have I did have a mentor, uh-huh. and and he, he's he's, rec- he's since passed. But. Oh, sorry to hear um, that. Yeah, me too. But what was crazy was I was failing in Detroit, but I was still open to – I was still open to the universe. And I got on the phone with this guy that I thought thought could help me. I'm like, Mike, I need your help. And he's like, I don't know who you are. He was living in Malibu at the time. I'm like, dude, I'm seeing some stuff that you're doing online. You seem to be a pretty successful investor. I need your help. Like – I had nowhere to turn. My mom and dad didn't know I was investing in real estate. They didn't know I had a car. They had no idea how bad it was. And I had all this pressure on me and everything. I mean, and it's not like, you know, when I was growing up, mom and dad weren't like, hey, yeah, you should go be a real estate investor. I mean, I'm the eldest kid in an Indian family. I mean, you already know the stereotype (laughs) of what they want you to do, right? Engineer, doctor, lawyer, attorney, um, accountant, something like that. And I'm like, I can't tell them. Otherwise, I'm going to get slapped across the face 15 times like, what are you doing? So I had to trust other people to help me learn this game of entrepreneurship, business, and real estate. And Michael Burke was one of those people. I met him on a conference call. We had really good energy. And I'm like, listen, man, I need to earn some cash. You know, I need to earn some cash. How do I do that? And that's how we started. I mean – we just started buying and selling cars. And That's I had this awesome. inkling of going to, going to Craigslist and selling stuff on eBay. And I did a couple myself, but it was him, he really taught me that system so that I could generate the cash that I needed to for my projects in Detroit. And he said, you know what? There's eBay.com, but there's also eBay.com.au. So <laughs> go around, and there's also eBay.com.ae, eBay.com.in, you, you know? Yep, and he's yep. like, Give it a shot. See what these Australians buying. what these Aussies in the land of Oz <laughs> are buying and connect with them. Be genuine and see if you can help them out. And that's what I did. I jumped on Skype. I got an international calling plan. And I said, you know, good day, mate. <laughs> 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 and I did that in the, you know, super, super early in the morning. And that's how I built my database of Australian buyers, just like you can in the wholesaling real estate business. You have to shake it till you make it. You know, you yep. gotta, you gotta do it. And that's how I built it, one car at a time. And then I just sold a bunch of classic cars, nice, so it man. helped me before I met him. And then when I met him, it was, it, it blew up. And then I was able to, uh, I, I was able to recover from my losses in Detroit because of the money that I had that I had coming in from my classic car business and I was wholesaling real estate a little bit too and it just worked so I didn't take as much of a I didn't take as much of a dive financially as I could have right. otherwise I could have lost 50 60 70 thousand dollars I only had ended up losing about six thousand dollars after recovering about forty, forty-five thousand 45 thousand dollars of that buying and selling cars awesome
1: man is that business still around today it's not. It's we not. saw that
0: dealership in Australia. Yeah.
1: Wow. But well, Congratulations. That's such a such a journey. Uh, early on in your career to just discover this import and export and and making it happen. Like I just love it. And it's just leading now to more and more entrepreneurial things. And I know you're doing a lot with your real estate deal talk. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But you know, the main reason I got you on the show today was to talk about diversification and what you're doing and what, in your mind, diversification is. So you know, let's start at the top, diversification for those listeners out there, you know, you've talked a little bit about investing uh, in different businesses, you know, uh, a vintage car, uh, export import um, business, you've obviously reinvested in real estate, but from a high level, 30,000 foot level, what is diversification in your mind? In my
0: mind, diversification is how many buckets of opportunity that are different that you're investing in. Okay. So for example, You have stocks, bonds, mutual funds. That's bucket number one. You have real estate. That's bucket number two. You have businesses. That's bucket number three. You have, say, non or anything else that you give back to. That's bucket number four. So having a good set percentage in each bucket is what you call allocation. And that, by definition, is diversification. You want to make sure that you have opportunities that you're investing in things that aren't only um, an inch wide and in a mile deep that you have other types of opportunities that you can invest in
1: No no that's, that's 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 an incredible analogy with the different buckets so with that being said do you have any stocks bonds or mutual funds or is all your pennies in the the second bucket real estate
0: yeah i think we also have to take a look at how active and passive i am in each of these opportunities right Mm -hmm. so yes i do own a couple of international etfs i own a couple of domestic etfs i like to have i like to follow the spy i like to follow the s p 500 and that's just for long-term growth you know i don't look at that as a day trade i look at let's dca let's dollar cost average let's buy when the market's going up let's buy when the market's going down and hold for the long term that is the objective for me buy and hold forty years fifty years until I die that 's what makes sense I'm not going to touch that money mm-hmm. but my active income is all in real estate that is that is the name of the game for me so I am all in on real estate I invest capital earned back into real estate I invest capital earned into the stock market and ETFs I like ETFs um, and, and for all those people that the
1: ETFs standing for, what is it, just for all those people? Yes. It. An ETF
0: is an exchange-traded fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely take a look. You essentially get diversification within an industry by purchasing one ETF, and it trades like a stock.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Got yep. It. So capital earned from real estate goes back into investing in the real estate business because that's important. Capital earned from real estate or income earned from real estate, I suppose, goes to investing in ETFs. And also capital earned from real estate, whatever excess there is, will go into investing in performing businesses.
1: Love it. Love it, love it, love it. I love the fact that you're investing across a myriad of different things from stocks, bonds, and mutual funds in real estate and businesses. So this is a real estate investing show. We're going to talk about your real estate for a second here. So let's where where are you to, where are you investing right now, and what type of assets are you buying in the in the act quote unquote active bucket? Great question. So
0: active bucket, let's split that into two different categories. One is single family, and two is multifamily. Mm-hmm. Single family, I'm investing if I can find the right deal, and I'm sure we could talk about that because <laughs> I'm pulling my hair out with the number of conversations that I have every week with real estate investors, just residential, just resi investors. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm investing in flips and buy and hold in Atlanta, Charlotte, and we're starting to get, to take a look at cities in uh, Alabama.
1: Right. Are you buying these single flamey resis um, with other investors as sort of a turnkey operation or are you buying it purely as Arby and, you know, and co just you know, with some private investors, and you're building your little nest egg. Yes, the latter. So we
0: will we'll raise capital. Work. We'll connect with private investors. Borrow capital. Borrow debt. Borrow equity. See what makes sense for the deal. If it's a flip, then it's not going to stay on the books. And that's the issue that I have with flips: is that they don't you, know, you dispose of the asset because you're selling it to the end consumer. Right. But ultimately, it's a really good way to generate cash, so you can buy cash flowing real estate. Uh, So to answer your question, yes, uh, we find investors that want to uh, that want to invest with us, that want a good return on capital over a period of time, more so on the flip side, on the rental side, that's all us. Uh, We don't we don't take on investor capital um, in any equity perspective or any equity format. To buy cash flowing rentals.
1: Interesting. Okay. Now, talk to me about flipping. I've flipped a few houses. I've had a bit of, fa- I've had a few failures and I've had a few successes. So, with the whole model of consistent cash flow coming in, you know, versus the deployment of a bunch of capital and then you hopefully get it back in, you know, twelve to eighteen months time, depending on how big the flip is. What type of flipping are you doing? Are you doing high-end flipping? Are you doing more of the, you know, sixty thousand and then you know increasing the value to one hundred and twenty thousand and making the difference, or somewhere in between? So I look to I look to Uber drivers and
0: complete newbies in the market to help me drive that. Uh, recently, well, over the last maybe two and a half three years, we've been looking and taking advantage of uh, really kind of your high-end flips. And by high end in Atlanta, California, I mean it, the High end <laughs> is a totally different <laughs> different price point. You're like, wow. Go on, tell me,
1: it, tell me the difference.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, you, you know the difference, but right. um, yeah, I, I think I think what you can get for a million dollars in in California is like a 500 square foot apartment, and then a million dollars here in Atlanta is like you know a ten thousand square right. foot. House with like yeah total and make a mansion with like 18 acres of land on a on a vineyard and you have three horses (laughs) you pay for for like a year right so pretty much the last three two and a half three years we've been focusing on the retail for the flip end um retail price points between four hundred thousand and about a million
1: okay Yep. So high-end flipping for, and that would be very, you know, that's still a, you know, middle class to high-end here in, 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 in California, depending on what neighborhood you're in. But that's that would be very high-end for you guys out there in yes. Atlanta. Interesting. Yeah. So with that model, are you, how many flips are you doing a, a month? Do you have your team set up? Are you just overseeing? um the acquisition part of it or you're overseeing the day-to-day management of the flips and getting, you know, your your spec book out and making sure the 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 GC has installed the right type of tiles and stuff like that. How or have you turned it more into a well-oiled machine that sort of deals come in one end and they spit out the other as a as a flipped product?
0: Yeah, we do our best to create a machine. I mean it's you know, we we as real estate investors, we think of ourselves as creating a real estate business. And I think as we even start the process of this love of real estate investing we think to ourselves yeah i want to create a business but not a lot of us create businesses do we we create jobs right and we create the oh man i have to go do five flips next year because you know what i did five five flips last year and six flips last year and i have to cre- i have to keep my standard of living so we forget that we need to build a business instead of creating a job so I, d- I wanted to just introduce that topic for maybe later discussion as well but i do my best to create a end-to-end solution for our team so that i don't have to go into the field and start picking up drywall i mean <laughs> I, i'm five foot five and 120 pounds like <laughs> i can lift about I, the the, I think the heaviest I can curl is 35, 40 pounds in my <laughs> biceps. That's pretty much about it. So I'm not about to go do hard labor. But I'm primarily responsible for overseeing capital and overseeing acquisitions. What's coming down the pike, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, understanding where the market is headed locally. And now that I know we have too much activity in the land on the high end stuff, mm-hmm. I am purely focusing on resale price points on the flip end between 100 and 250,000. Yeah. If I can't if I can't make the numbers work, I'm not going to buy it. I'm seeing way too many people at the at the courthouse steps buying property for obscene prices and quite frankly, Reed, I'm not buying right now. I'm not even sorry, not going to do it unless it absolutely makes sense.
1: And that's that's an interesting that you say that because it definitely reflects on where we are in the market cycle both in multifamily. I'm heavily involved in large uh, commercial multifamily, but also in the single family resi and flipping and stuff like that. So with that being said, you mentioned on keeping your pulse on the local market in Atlanta and a couple of the other markets you've mentioned in, in Alabama. And I think you said in North Carolina. So talk to me about those markets and why you like investing in those markets and maybe give your sort of crystal ball prediction of where they're headed and, and, and what makes them them a good place to invest in. Or, yeah or so, not, <laughs> you know. Yeah, good, great question. I think Atlanta. If you take a look at, if
0: you take a look at Atlanta versus Charlotte versus say Birmingham, Atlanta definitely leads the pack in terms of where growth is headed and how much time we have left. Okay, what am I mean, what I mean by that is, I think Atlanta has probably another two years before we start to see a little bit of a plateau and correction. Charlotte generally follows it, follows Atlanta you can take a transparency well you can take a picture of Atlanta put it on a transparency and superimpose that on the skyline of Charlotte mm-hmm. and that's where Charlotte's going to be in about ten years okay. so Charlotte will follow Atlanta generally on a market cycle I would say on a two maybe a year and a half two year delay unless something drastic happens with the markets nationally then everybody's just kind of screwed but I don't expect that to happen because we do have financial projections in place uh, since the since the real estate crash 2007 2008 so do i see do i foresee that to happen again absolutely not but do i foresee dumb investors with dumb money buying dumb things and making dumb decisions that's already <laughs> happening right now know, right. reed i can't tell you like <laughs> a multifamily doesn't make any sense why would you go to the ghetto to buy a 100 unit apartment complex on an eight and a half cap bad idea like you're that's stupid but we'll talk about that i'm sure in a second too <laughs> Um, if we talk about Charlotte, yeah, I think Charlotte's up and coming. I like Charlotte because I can get the same yields as Atlanta, but I also don't like Charlotte for the exact same reason. Why would I drive three and a half hours each way or jump through security at an airport and jump on a plane, drive to Charlotte, fly into Charlotte for the same yield? I wouldn't because it's a waste of my time, right? right? So keeping a pulse on Charlotte is really important. They have a lot of good markets. Noda is a community in Atlanta that's, I'm sorry, in Charlotte that resembles Old Fourth Ward. It's nice and hipster beautiful. I mean, if you buy if you buy a lot there for $100,000, $90,000, $150,000, $120,000, you're doing really well because you can pretty much build a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bathroom home at $85, $90 a square foot, $1850, $2,000 square feet, and resell that puppy for between four twenty five dollars and four fifty. dollars So overall, you're still getting the same yield. Charlotte is hot. Birmingham, Alabama will trail Charlotte by maybe two-and-a-half, three, four years, if not a little bit longer. I mean, we're looking at a Smaller city, rental market, buy and hold. The same thing with the Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I didn't mention that, but we are starting to look at Jacksonville, Florida, because it has the lowest AMI, the average um, average with it monthly income, yearly income, median I'm sorry, median average income. median income. Yes, yep. um, throughout the entire state of Florida. So overall, the economy there is slightly depressed, but folks love Jacksonville. So that's a great little rental market. And I speak at IMN and I go to some of these institutional conferences and everybody pushes the primary markets. Primary markets being like your big, big cities, like Charlotte, uh, I'm sorry, not Charlotte. Well, I think Charlotte now can can be considered a primary market, but like your Atlanta, New York City, Chicago, LA, Texas, uh, Dallas, Texas, Seattle, these are primary markets. But where you're really gonna get yield, for those of you that have limited cash, it's going to be your secondary and tertiary markets. Just be careful of where you buy. Make sure you have good employment. Uh, make sure that you have good proximity uh, to public transportation. And that's where you'll see those yields, yep. um, not just in your primary markets. Because in Atlanta, it's just not going to work, Like unless you Airbnb. But that's not a really good exit strategy either.
1: <laughs> no. Uh, I love everything you just said there. Talk to me a little bit about the AMI and, and the – thought process of going into jacksonville are you seeing that you know someone who said you know if you're looking at median income uh, of households uh, across you know you know jacksonville compared to the rest of the state it's depressed you have a depressed economy so what other factors are you looking at to make sure that you know you can see it there is some movement at the station and stuff is coming down the road that will bring it back up to being a more healthy economy that would support long-term growth
0: yeah I look I, obviously jobs, right. You know, you have to obviously uh, I also t- like to take a look at how the local government runs. are they <laughs> do they make it impossible to work with investors or are they pretty are they pretty uh, flawless? I mean, and nobody's perfect, right? That's not ever going to happen. But how do they treat investors? How do they, how do they treat builders and developers? Do they offer some concessions? Are they willing to work with you? Or do they make it extremely difficult? And I can tell you, I mean, Atlanta has so much activity that it's, it's really kind of tough. It's t- I mean, if I'm, if I'm waiting in Atlanta three, four, five months for a build permit just because they're being, they're being anal retentive about it, great. I understand you don't want to put like a strip joint next to a single family house, mm-hmm. I get it. But at the same time, it shouldn't take me four months. It shouldn't take me multiple calls to schedule an inspection. So how easy is it? Is the local government willing to work with you? Are they, are they nice people? Uh, that kind of thing I'm looking for. And then I'm looking for... <laughs> do, you ever
1: get, do you ever get a nice inspector? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like hail Caesar when they come out to sites. Like, yes, whatever. We hail the ground you walk on. Please, imp- please approve this job so we can move on.
0: <laughs> yeah. The,
1: the, you know what?
0: It's like you have to roll out the red... We just had an inspection failed. So here's how stupid it is, right? They won't call you before they come out. But then they expect yeah. you to leave your door unlocked and, unsecu- and leave the property unsecured so they can trot in. But then there's no way to leave them notes to say, here's the lock, you know, here's right. the lockbox code, or hey, call my contractor or call me so that I can meet you. No, they don't do that. It's just, oh, well, I can't get into the property. Fine. Great. Now I have to go back to DeKalb County, and or I'm picking up DeKalb County or even Fulton County here in Georgia. And I have to pay them an extra 25 bucks and wait seven days. I mean, I would much rather find the bluntest instrument. I don't know. I mean, I'm looking around my house right now. Find, find like a spoon and just gouge my eyes out. Like, I, why would I do that? Or I'd, ra- you know, just give me my phone put it up to my brain and just let it heat up so i get brain cancer like i would much rather
1: do these things <laughs> <laughs> i've had many i had some issues in philadelphia i deal with people here in la all the time it's it seems to be nationwide and it seems to be types the type of people that have been attractive but we're not we're not here to bag on on inspectors they do a fantastic job of any inspectors are, are listening out there but we were talking about the job creation in Jacksonville and different places like that, whether you do see that there maybe is a depressed um, average median income and how that, you know, you're always looking down the road to see what's coming next. And, and you know, one of your things that you like to look at is, is making sure that the local city council is working with investors, making their job easier to get things done, to get things built and, and, and you know, eventually to sell it to make a profit, right? That, that's kind of your, 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 your motto. Absolutely. I
0: also like to take a look at just like maybe one little tidbit, the U-Haul index.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How many how many U-Hauls are being rented and where are they going right. and where the origination is. So if I see a lot of if I see say a lot of U-Hauls being rented in Atlanta, then like all right, I need to pay attention, and see kind of what's going on. Are they moving out of Atlanta? Are they are they just moving to other places in Atlanta? Um, so that's a that's a small little factor that I also kind of take a look at, but. If we're looking at just rentals, I mean, that varies from neighborhood to neighborhood. That's true in any city anywhere USA. If I'm looking at a new market, I'm connecting with local real estate agents and local realtors because there is a difference. Um, local agents and realtors that understand the market that can say, yeah, you know, this area of Jacksonville, you might want to wait on, you know, three or four or five years. But these other areas are right for picking good rental property and you'll get stable tenants. So having that local market knowledge is really important and understanding that you need to build your team in every market that you go is crucial.
1: Right, right. I tend to hear that I'm, uh, with your diversification, you're, you're using the flips to feed your rentals. Is that, that's correct, right? That's how you're getting the capital to, to keep rolling it into something else for a buy and hold right? That is absolutely correct. Yep. Yep. So then with that, and we talked a little bit about, you briefly mentioned multifamily earlier on in the piece. Are you buying any you know, small to medium to large multifamily in any of your markets or is it purely single family houses, flipping single family to, to buying single family buy and holds?
0: Uh, no, we're also taking a look at multifamily. Uh, my team and I just finished a raise for a 200-unit apartment complex just a little north of Dallas. Nice. And yeah, I mean, it just... If, and again i mean this comes right down to finding the right people but multifamily if you can find the right deals i mean the underwriting is a little bit more it's Intense. it's a little bit more involved <laughs> yeah and and you know that but you know you have to look at cap you have to look at cash on cash you have to look at debt service coverage ratio um uh, you have to look also at your your uh, cap rate adjusted for capex because not yep. a lot of folks do that you know and why are people buying in this area? I mean, there, there are a whole lot of, there are a whole host of issues when you're looking at multifamily, but I like multifamily. It's a good diversification play. It's a great play for passive investors. Like We work with investors that are, that are just like, hey, you know what? Here's here's 100 grand or 50 grand in an IRA if you're a dentist, whatever, and you want to deploy that capital, but you really just want to focus on family and your business. Great. It, multifamily is a great vehicle to do that. Uh, you come in as a potential partner and you can totally take advantage of the income, the depreciation, the equity, appreciation, the leverage just as much as we do as operating partners. So overall, the numbers make sense. Sense They're stacked in your favor and you get the economies of scale with multifamily, whereas you don't necessarily get that with single family. If you own 110 doors on single family, you're running around the city all the time, unless you have a good property management team that understands what your goals are and they also have the manpower or woman power to service those 125, 130 doors that you have all across Atlanta. Atlanta traffic is terrible. I mean,
1: we had a bridge down. It was a nightmare.
0: <laughs> like
1: LA. <laughs> LA is yes. terrible all the bloody time. So with that being said, are you doing multi multifamily or just keeping your, again, back to your diversification play, having your buckets within inside the real estate bucket, flipping single family and a bit of multi, just sort of all the whole cogs working all as, as one?
0: That's a great question. I think if we want to really have fun, and just pick up an asset or two, then we'll do that ourselves on the single-family end. We don't really, we wouldn't really advertise for that. I mean, we'll, we tell people we are buying single-family. We are, uh, but f- for investors and folks that really want to work with us, it's either the flip game and development game mm-hmm. on the residential side or it's the multifamily game. Got it.
1: Got it. Awesome stuff, man. So talk the part, the last piece of the puzzle, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about, and we've got, we're have running out of time here, but I do want to just quickly hit on it, is the business investing. And you know, you've created this uh, real estate talk radio show. Uh, I've looked at your website. You've created a bunch of other small businesses in and around real estate, but aren't necessarily focused on real estate investing per se. How are you investing in established businesses that will do help the real estate investor um, and, and also adds to your repertoire of diversification when it comes to your overall investing strategy?
0: Great question. So I would say this. I would say plan for, plan for long-term cash flow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Plan for long-term cash, cash flow. And the only way that we can do that is if we take an active role in identifying opportunities to invest in, period. If you're not taking advantage of that, you're screwed. If you're only flipping right now, you're screwed. If you're only buying rentals, you're screwed. It's just it's you have to make sure that you put your feelers out there and you identify businesses that can provide yield just as much as a house does on a rental. I'm doing nothing different, right? I'm doing nothing different. A business is people process product and you can improve that just like you can a house. Right And you can flip that just like you can a house. I'm not saying you're flipping human beings, <laughs> but you're 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 flipping the business right and or you can hold it for the long term so every single day, just as much time I spend on real estate, I spend time looking for businesses to either be a partner in or to bring cash to or you know let's say you have an amazon business or you have a uh, a a I don't know a classic car business <laughs> that you're providing and you know, you're the exclusive provider of Car parts to Australians with these two dealerships and they love you over there You have a great reputation, but you know what you have way too much to handle you have so many orders It's crazy and you need a cash infusion of say hundred and twenty five thousand dollars mm-hmm. well you 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 can prove that over the last two years your business has improved by say a margin of eight to ten and eight to ten maybe twelve percent, and using this capital you'll be able to improve it more. You'll be able to hire an additional person. You'll be able to get more volume, and your business will really take off. Well, great! I want a little bit of that upside. I want a part of that growth. So just like investing in an ETF, an exchange traded fund that could potentially get me between ten and twelve percent a year for the long term, I'm also interested in investing in you and being that partner. What's weird is, and I, I don't really talk about this much, but my expertise isn't even in real estate. I happen to be, I guess, good at real estate, but my expertise and my business partner's expertise is in an, is an identifying individuals that have a purpose that we can align with, mm-hmm. that we can design smart business processes with, and leverage that for the long
1: term. I love I, I something i don't talk enough about on this show but you know where i want to transition this show eventually is that whole mindset what you just said just then is identifying opportunities regardless you know real estate and, and commercial real estate is you know I look at it as the controlling NOI, right? You control the NOI, you control the value of of the business. You know, so it's the same adage when you're going to look at startups or you're looking at an Amazon business. If you can control that NOI, you can increase the, the, the sales or increase the income and reduce operating expenses um, because you're buying in more volume, then you're gonna directly control the NOI. And that can be applied from real estate to business investing uh, to a myriad of different things. So that's really, really awesome. What are the types of small businesses that you're investing in right now? Just give me an example of what a couple of the businesses that you have funded over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, so I'm a big fan of logistics. I'm a big fan of the of the, of the semi trucks mm-hmm. that uh, you see rolling on the roads. I mean, you talk about AI and you talk about driverless semi semi trucks. Right. It's not going to happen for a long time because one semi trucks can kill people. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> And <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> I, I, it's very difficult for me to envision a world where you have driverless semi-trucks. So an example is just that. We partnered with an operator, and they needed. Uh, he needed some cash. And we said, hey, you know what? Not a problem. Here's some capital. Let's see how we can build this business together and grow it. And now we've been able to help him go from, Uh, three or four dedicated routes to roughly about 20, 21 dedicated routes on all trucks. Yeah. And I mean, overall, that has a that has a good increase in margin. And he's happy because we're not, you know, we're not like sharks. We're not going to take him for what he's got Mm -hmm. and say, yeah, we want 55, 80, 90, 100 percent of your business and you're going to go on a salary. But he sees us more as strategic partners. And you know what? This business will be here for our lifetime. Another business that I'm looking at is with one of my uh, one with one of my mentors uh, from 2000 and boy, a long time ago, 2007. In purchasing, um, he said like a U.S. It's a USPS. It's a federal. Uh, he said, I might have to call him again about this, but it's a USPS <laughs> branch office, and he he can buy 13 of them and they would be producing in total between 300 and 350,000 a year in positive net cash flow. Wow. Yeah, but that's, that's 13. So you have 13 locations on average every every location is doing, you know, roughly less than $40,000 a year in cash flow, mm-hmm. but it's still it's there. Right. Yeah, it's there. It's not going anywhere. I mean, the threat of Amazon drones delivering stuff I don't think it's going to be a threat for at least another 20, 25 years. They still have to approve that tech and it's going to be a long way to go. But that's a great business. I mean, if you're looking at just parking cash, if you're a passive investor and just parking cash and just having it grow for you, these are the types of things that you have to be doing. If you are, in, if you're actively looking at stuff, then that's a different. That's that's just a different strategy. Right. This kind of stuff is passive investing. You're not going to get you know, you're not going to get 60, 70, 80% returns year after year, like you would say on a flip, right? Mm-hmm. Where your cash on cash is absolutely ridiculous. But you have to be okay with taking a little bit less of yield to take a back seat and let other folks run the business.
1: And, and how are you finding those opportunities right now, like the, the truck driver, like, you know, the, the, U, the UPSs uh, across the country?
0: relationship building that's okay. it like yep. i I feel like I'm still a novice with a lot of this stuff, and you know people like you um you, you're the real giants you know i'm i'm just shoulder I'm just standing on your shoulders and and kind of looking out and seeing the opportunities and it's you know thank you for doing what you do because it's it's tremendous and it allows me to say, hey, let's one work together and let's two see what we can put out there. I mean, how do we find real estate deals? You know, I just know wholesalers that prefer to sell to me versus the other guy down the street because I'm a I'm a genuine guy, I'd like to think, and I provide value and I'm always looking for two things. One, how can I help you? And two, how can I make you money? And to my fault sometimes. I'm less concerned about my well-being than I am yours. Right. So I want to make sure that you see tremendous value, that you see tremendous money, and I know that as a result of me helping you make money, that I'll make money too.
1: Awesome stuff. What's the biggest piece of advice when it comes to diversifying your investments correctly?
0: Be aware of your investing personality. Okay. Meaning- it's that simple. Like if if you are a person that likes watching um, geez, uh, like lost <laughs> on TV, then you probably are more of an aggressive guy or gal and you, and you like flipping, but then understand that there's going to have to be a long-term wealth generation component. So start to figure out what makes sense for you. And it could be rentals. It could be building a business yourself. It could be working with your spouse or significant other and building a cupcake business. I don't know, but understand what that means for you and understand the ultimate objective for the long-term. Love it. Does that make sense? It makes a lot I, I of hope, sense. I hope that wasn't too general of an
1: answer. No, 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 it's, it's great. No, okay. it's, it's really, really awesome. And, and I I'm know I'm gonna ask you where people can reach out to you. Um, but we are gonna wrap up the show because I know you do have to run. So let's get into the, the last five questions, the lightning round, and we'll get into the top five investing tips. Ready to do it? Let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Wake up at 4 a.m. and two hours
0: of yoga. No, I'm kidding. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: I, 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 would say, I would say give more value than you're getting to others, especially on social and leverage social for the right reasons. Um, there's so many people on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on uh, – I'm sure I'm missing one – on Anchor that you can be connecting with and saying, hey, you know what? Why don't we partner on Facebook? Why don't we partner and why don't we do something together? Find a way to create value for somebody like you, Reed. If I'm listening to this show, I would find any way to have value created from my new Australian friend, Reed, and partner with him on deals or ask him questions and say, hey, how can I help you? Because I know there are a million things in Reed's world that he needs to be – he can optimize more on. How can I do that for free? And – that's how you create relationships. So build value, build value, build value.
1: Awesome stuff. Uh, who's the most influential person in your career to date?
0: I would, geez, that's tough. I would say I would say directly in my life on a business level only, my business partner, Walt. Uh, he, he's the kind of guy, he's 10 years older than me, almost exactly 10 years. And he says, Avi, we are not going to buy these 100 properties. We're going to buy maybe two of them. <laughs> and I mean that's that's such a buzzkill but you know what it it makes sense and he he's that yin to my yang and he is on that business level very very mature and very understanding of me awesome stuff and he's the guy that I would go to for anything business growth-wise.
1: He, he, it sounds like he's a guy that keeps your expectations in, in, in check, right? You know, they're not going off with of the fairies and yeah, we can buy these hundred 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 properties. It's like, well, let's, let's be smart. Let's maybe only acquire two, three, five, ten 10 of them, you know, and, and buy the best 10 out of those hundred. So you got it. Love it. What is the most influential tool in your real estate business or in any of your businesses that you use on a daily basis?
0: So let's, let's definitely talk about tool and tech.
1: Um, Obviously,
0: people are really important to me, and people are number one to me, uh, family, friends, and business partners. Um, The two favorite tools for me, one, Podio, so check that out. It's highly customizable. There's a little bit of a learning curve, but use it. And number two, Slack, S-L-A-C-K, Slack. That's number two. Number two is Slack. So make sure that you pay attention to those two tools and how you can leverage them for your teams.
1: I use Slack all the time with my analysts it's fantastic. I yes. one of them actually said to me when he kept, when he joined me at the beginning of the year he's like Reed, I can't do this email thing anymore I have to do Slack." And I was like, "What's Slack?" <laughs> and I'm now just completely hooked, you know. It's it's awesome to go and it's awesome to go back and look at like when you're looking at so many deals you can go back to that one deal that's sort of went off the burner, but it's the channel still created for it. You can, oh, that's that's why I remember seeing that. I can download the models again. It's been very, very influential in my business as well. Uh, What has been the biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from that failure?
0: Well, I think I alluded to it a little bit earlier when we started the podcast is my biggest failures in Detroit. Right. I think my, I I didn't do well. I mean, I had to recover recover like $50,000 in losses and the way that I did that was 45 of which, um, that recovery came from buying and selling buying schlepping cars on Ebay to Australians <laughs> that wanted to buy them <laughs> so I think the biggest lessons that I can learn from that are tremendous the fortitude to keep going dust yourself off and get back up um, you have to motivate yourself because I had nobody else outside of my audio tapes with you know hey Tony Robbins if you're listening to this you rock brother um, you know those kind of folks uh, the Dale Carnegie's the Jim Rohn rest in peace brother but like you know you have to – nobody cares as much about you and your financial future as you do. You have to wake up in the morning and you have to look at yourself in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth and realize that it's you, baby. You know, it's you. So get leverage on yourself. Work out. Don't eat shit, right? Don't – just please don't because trashing your body is not a good thing. Really, really, really treat your body like a temple and get leverage on yourself and understand that – it's you It's you 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 and your mindset is super crucial. You're either your best friend or your worst enemy?
1: I love it and I think the you know taking that first step and even though you did fail, I've failed a few times as well and lost lost a bit of money, probably same sort of you know dollar figure as you but you know the lessons were learned, like to, as you said to dust yourself off and keep going and you had the fortitude and the grit, which is really really important to get up, get back on the horse, make it happen, you learn from the lessons and you won't do it again. So might might have been an expensive lesson but hey we all, we all have to make those uh quote unquote lessons every now and then. Abi last question is mate where can people reach you to continue the conversation you've been an absolute awesome guest and I you know really appreciate you coming on the show today.
0: Hey, awesome. Um, I'm sure you're going to have show notes, so check out Reed's show notes for this, uh, for this show. Uh, but if not there, then definitely, uh, or including that, uh, definitely reach out on realestatedealtalk.com. Uh, that's my hub. That's where I live. Obviously, I'm everywhere on social. I mean, Snap, Instagram, DM me, Twitter, whatever. I don't auto-hack this stuff or growth-hack this stuff. It's me actually responding to you. I love taking questions. I don't sell anything. I make all my money in, in real estate and business and um, – you know, and I talk about it, and I talk about my successes and failures there too. So, definitely get in touch,
1: mate. You've been an incredible guest on today's show. Thank you so much for dropping by. I just want to quickly wrap up and summarize some of the things that I've taken, taken away from the diversification. And I think the biggest one is understanding that there are different revenue streams out there to you know, to maintain long-term wealth. That you may not, you know, get a massive return on t- today but be it, have an open mind to different business opportunities, whether it be investing in the stock market, real estate investing or investing for businesses. So really, really powerful stuff. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week and we will catch up soon. Well, there you have it. What an incredible show with Arby. He is an incredible entrepreneur out there kicking ass and taking names and getting stuff done. If you do have any questions for Arby, please jump on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com forward slash podcast and you'll find all the links that we did mention on today's show and much, much more. Arby is an incredible entrepreneur. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys are gonna go back and re-listen to this show and then reach out if you have any questions on diversification. I wanna guys wanna thank you again so much for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like this show, remember to hit subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. We will be on all across all the platforms. And we're gonna do this all again next week, so take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.